and welcome to Shut Up and Jimmer. I am your host, or co-host, I should say, to be to be totally fair, Steve Pierce, joined as always by my fellow co-host, the great and venerable Robert F. McCombs III. Robbie, how are you this fine evening? Doing well, Steve. The Shut Up and Jimmer karma remains undefeated. We bashed the team last week and they responded by... Of course, at practice, huddling around in a circle, listening to our podcast, and responded once again with the resounding victory over St. Mary's. So I think we'll have to just trash our um, kind of what we wanted to do this episode and just talk poorly about the team because clearly that's what is what inspires and what leads to good BYU performances. Yeah, I mean, I I've, I've always said that the best way to get a, a great performance out of a, out of a team is to just break them down through petty sniping and name calling and uh, wait for them to build themselves back up and into something even greater and, and stronger and more forceful than you could ever imagine. Um, so that's probably not what we'll do this week, but yeah. uh, cause there's actually good things to talk about this week, but uh, you know, it's, it's good to know that our, our pessimism played it played a part uh, this week and, and, and the good things that happened. Um, reminder before we dive yes. into the week, uh, we are on all of the major podcast platforms. Anywhere you like to listen to podcasts, we are there. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Podcasts. We are on Spotify. We are on Pocket Cast. We are on Stitcher. We are everywhere. Anywhere that you want podcasts. So subscribe on your podcast platform of choice uh, so you get the latest podcasts right to the right to your phone. Get that, get that Shut Up and Jim or Karma right on your phone uh, as soon as it becomes available. Uh, and then throw us a rating and a review if you feel uh, feel so inclined because, you know, we, we, we would appreciate it. Um, and I think that's it. I think that's it. Let's dive into the week, Robbie. This was a, this was a good one for the Cougars. Only one game, but it was a really big game. BYU uh, coming away with the 71-66 win over their vaunted rivals. Uh, the team I think that you know everybody pretty much hates more than any other team in the WCC. Uh, like the Gonzaga, the Gonzaga yeah. rivalry, it's, it's a rivalry, but it's a rivalry of like mutual respect. Uh, I think everyone just hates St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, so it was good to, it was good to beat them uh, in the Marriott Center this week. Uh, Robbie, what was, there was a lot that was good about that game. What, what stood out the most to you? Yeah, there was a lot that was good. And I remember last week, Steve, when we were talking about what BYU needed to improve on, we talked, one of the biggest things we harped on was that first game when BYU lost to St. Mary's by 22 in Moraga, was that BYU just did a really bad job taking care of the ball. And that first game, BYU had 13 turnovers and St. Mary's subsequently had 16 points of that turnovers. So BYU really needed to turn that around this upcoming game, this past game against St. Mary's. And BYU did that and more in the turnover margin. I mean, not only did they take care of the ball, they forced St. Mary's turnovers. I mean, they want BYU won the turnover battle 15 to two. I mean, when you have two turnovers as a team, Steve, I mean, that's, you'll win pretty you'll win a lot of games and, BYU did their best not to win the game with two turnovers. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get back to that. But I mean, BYU took really good care of the ball. I think TJ Haas, he had his assist to turnover ratio once again was fantastic. He had seven assists and zero turnovers. Yeah. I mean, when you have your point guard, the guy has the ball that much in his hands, he's getting those type of assist numbers and zero turnovers. I mean, that's that's a really good sign for the BYU offense. So, I mean, that was that was the first thing I was really encouraging. And then keeping on that defensive um mind frame so st mary's when you think of st mary's you think of ball movement you think of precision you think of patience you think of half-court offense 
and you think of them moving around the ball. But St. Mary's only had five assists that game. So BYU just did a really good job taking St. Mary's into the offense. I think St. Mary's might have flipped their game plan a little bit from what they normally do, which I think worked in BYU's favor. I think they might have watched the San Francisco game. That San Francisco game, San Francisco did a little bit more isolation, just got to the basket pretty easily. Um, St. Mary's, I think they tried to copy that a little bit, but I think it was forced a little bit too much. A lot of it, I think, is because of BYU. And what another thing I really liked what BYU did, BYU did a really good job on Jordan Ford. I mean, Jordan Ford's probably the best, one of the best scorers in the WCC. I mean, he's the second leading scorer after Yoli. But BYU between McKay Cannon and Nick Emery, I really liked their effort. Um, McKay Cannon started off, gave really good effort. And then Nick, he hasn't been great at offense this year, but one thing you can count on Nick, which is why he's getting playing time, is every game you could count on him to bring in the defensive effort. And I just really like what BYU did. They didn't quite go a box and one on Jordan Ford, but they almost kind of did that. They just really stayed on Jordan Ford the whole game. Because one of the things that's bit BYU in the past is BYU tends to overhelp. But this game, Bowie did a really good job of not overhelping. And that kind of starts first with the bigs having good position down low, which, I mean, Gavin Baxter played a lot, and BYU's bigs had better position down low. But the bigs had better position down low, which made BYU not have to help so much. So they're just really able to stick on Jordan Ford. I mean, he had 15 points, but it took him 15 shots to get that. So if you can make anyone that like that a volume scorer, you're doing your job. So, I mean, turnovers, BYU 15-2 in the turnover margin, really – took St. Mary's out of the game plan, made St. Mary's put the ball on the floor more, and then just did a really good job in St. Mary's best player, Jordan Ford. So, I mean, overall, I was very pleased with the defensive effort. Um, and then, Steve, I know you really liked what Gavin Baxter, I mean, I loved what Gavin Baxter did that game. He was total game changer. I mean, we touched about the Pepperdine game, that when he's playing like this, it, this is a completely different BYU team. So, I mean, I'll kind of hand it off to you there and let you uh, talk about other things that you really liked, really liked from the game. Yeah, I thought that it was uh, it was a balanced effort, which I thought the defense mm-hmm. was actually good, as you mentioned, which is really helpful since it's not been very good a lot of times this season. Um, but I think on offense, it was a it was a really balanced, uh, uh, not super balanced, but they they got they got scoring from places more than just TJ and Yoli. I mean, TJ and Yoli kind of. Overall, had an off night. I know TJ still had seven assists and, and zero turnovers, so he was he was distributing the ball like he always does. But he only had 17 points on 33% shooting from the floor. Yoli had 23, but on 41% shooting. So they were taking a lot of shots to to get the to get to their point totals. Um, they really struggled with their efficiency. But the bench kind of stepped up. The bench uh, had 22 points. BYU is ten, this is an interesting stat. BYU is 10 and two this year so far. I looked it up when the bench scores at least 20 points. So the two losses were the the Weber game where they scored like a billion points overall and just were so terrible defensively that it didn't matter. They scored yeah. like over 100 points. So, of course, the bench would have to score uh, quite a bit to, to get to 100 points. Um, and then the uh, the San Diego State game where they also gave up a ton of points and lost on the last second shot. So other than those two games, when BYU's bench scores 20 points, when they get the other guys involved uh, and get some production out of them, BYU tends to win, right? And so this, that's what happened here in St. Mary's. You know, Yoli and and TJ got their points but didn't do so efficiently, but they got a huge lift off from a couple guys off the bench. Zach Zach Selyus, only five points, but those were five big points in a game that was decided by five points, right? Um, And Zach, you know, I can't say enough about where I feel like Zach is one of the few guys who I've really felt 
has improved um, throughout this season. I remember the mm-hmm. early on in this podcast, we would talk a lot about if Zach's not making threes, yeah. like can you can you even play him? Is he even valuable to you if he's not going to make a high percentage on his three-pointers? And he's making a reasonably high percentage. He's in the high 30s, I believe now. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when he's not making them, Zach is affecting the game positively in a lot of other ways. Um, it seems like, like, big, it, it seems yeah, like this bench roll has been good for him. Um, I think maybe because I think I feel like McCabe Cannon has played a little bit better since he's been starting. I mean, we gave him probably some undeserved flack at the beginning of the year, but I mean, it's not necessarily correlation equals causation. But I think having McCabe Cannon in the starting lineup and Zach come off the bench, it seems like those have been two good roles for them. Yeah, and McKay did a great did a great job on Jordan Ford, like you mentioned. And he's he's been really solid for the last several weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and McKay deserves a lot of a lot of credit for the. He's not scoring a lot, obviously, but he's he's playing well defensively and he's doing the little stuff, and and that's important. Um, another guy who played well off the bench, Nick Emery, seven points. Um, again, another only seven points. I mean, I think at the at the beginning of the season we thought Nick would maybe be the guy who was getting you know, 13 to 15 consistently for this team. And that just hasn't been the case. He hasn't, he's kind of been lost offensively. Uh, but those seven points really matter. A lot of them are coming off, off turnovers and transition that he's creating with his defense. Um, and so if, whatever Nick can give you is, is really big coming off the bench. Um, and then of course you mentioned the, the big game changer uh, in Gavin Baxter, Gavin Baxter, 10, 10 big points, five rebounds, including three uh, that were offensive and then two big blocks uh, on the defensive end. He mm-hmm. made his presence felt, uh, very much so in this game on on both ends. Uh, there were a few times where he got stuck on an island versus Malik Fitz, um, and he fouled him. He just looked a little bit out of his depth. But, you know, you take those kind of learning experiences because, you know, he has to have those getting matched up one-on-one against a really good, really experienced player like Malik Fitz um, and know that he's going to learn from those because with those learning experience experiences comes all the other good stuff that he did. It just seems like every time BYU needed a play, whether big or small, Gavin Baxter was somehow involved in it, whether it was getting a deflection, pulling down a key rebound, getting the big dunk on that assist from TJ at the end uh, that kind of put the game uh, when the game was getting really tight at the end. Uh, and he kind of slipped in on that uh, on slipped in on the baseline and TJ, TJ drew the two defenders and gave the nice little bounce pass for the dunk. Uh, that was probably the play that, put the game put the game away yeah i just seemed like every time byu needed something from gavin needed a little momentum needed needed something to to kind of extend a lead or stop a run it felt like gavin was somehow somehow involved in that um and so it's it was it was great to see it's the second time in three games that he's been you know probably the most the big difference maker um and and what's BYU's record in those games steve they're two and zero. Oh. Yeah, uh, two and zero. Oh, <laughs> Crazy, Robbie, including one over the one over the evil the evil gales and one uh, break one helping to uh, put the Firestone curse uh, of Pepperdine behind yeah. us. Um, so he's he's been great, and I think you know the question has been raised on Twitter and and rightfully so. Um, you know, as Gavin when Gavin plays uh, a lot of minutes and plays like this, it you quickly start to wonder, should he be a playing more? And the answer is yes, obviously than he has been in the past. Uh, But B should he be starting? Should we be continuing this charade of having Luke Worthington trot out there and look completely overmatched uh, by his, by his mat in his matchup for the first five to seven (laughs) minutes of the game. And then finally getting to a player who is right now playing with more confidence and bringing more to the floor uh, in, in Gavin Baxter. 
it's I want to say yes because the reason I well I want to say yes because I want it to happen but I think it could happen because the second half I mean um, Baxter did start the second half not only did he get the majority of the minutes in the second half but he would when the BYU tried out their starting lineup the second half it was Gavin and not Luke starting I think Gavin yeah. I, I wrote it down he played about the first seven or eight minutes and he had to come out I think conditioning I mean understandably is probably still a little yeah. bit of an issue he, he's not going to play 35 minutes because yeah. I, first of all I think he'll probably get in foul trouble too quickly and <laughs> yeah, that's true because <laughs> I mean I mean you, I think that's I mean it's you rather him not but you want him to be aggressive and with him being aggressive and still learning a little bit, you're bound to get some fouls, which is kind of just him learning. But I think he needs his conditioning up as well. So mm-hmm. I mean, it'll be interesting. To, it'll be interesting to see too, because what you don't want to happen against Gonzaga. I mean, we'll get this a little more when we dive into Gonzaga more in depth. I mean, Gonzaga has one of the best front courts in the country. I mean, they with Tilly, Brandon Clark, and Rui Hachimura. So I mean. Do you want it's obscene? Yeah, it's not fair, especially for the West Coast Conference. I mean, do you want do you want to kind of go with what you have? Have Luke get in there, have Luke pick up the two fouls in the first five minutes, and then because I mean, the last thing you want is Gavin to pick up two fouls in the first five minutes. But I mean, if you're gonna bring him in at the 16 minute mark, he'll probably pick up the same amount of fouls. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think BYU, if BYU wants to win, have, have any chance against Gonzaga, I mean. Their highest ceiling is with Gavin Baxter. So I'm sure he maybe he gets foul trouble early in the game, but I mean, that sucks. But I mean, Bu has absolutely any shot being Gonzaga. He needs to start. But not only beating Gonzaga, as you don't expect to, but just going forward, Gavin Baxter needs the minutes. He needs the development. Yeah. You can't have him transfer. That would be just devastating for this program, for the future of the program. So, I mean, we're biased, but I mean, we've also seen the play on the floor. So, I mean, I, maybe it's not a huge deal if he doesn't start as long as he gets... 25 plus minutes like he did this past game but i mean he definitely deserves starting spot based on talent and production yeah it's and it's this is a this is actually a a strategy that dave has used uh purposefully in the past right you remember back a couple years ago when eric mika started um you know pretty much the entire season and his is that their freshman year um Mm -hmm. and uh then in the middle of conference play Dave noticed that Eric was picking up two quick fouls basically every game because the mm-hmm. refs came out whistle happy. Uh, and so he actually had put Eric on, brought Eric off the bench uh, and started Worthington so that Luke would pick up the two fouls, um, yeah. which is a proud tradition he's carried on for his entire BYU <laughs> yeah. career. Um, and then, uh, and then, and then brought Eric in once things had settled down and, and hope to try and avoid some foul trouble. Now the, the, at the pace that, the pace that WCC officials call fouls these days, I don't think anyone is going to avoid foul trouble, yeah. um, but it might be something he looks to use here again because yeah. he's used it before. And yeah, I think that is a good point because I mean, the W, what the officials in the West Coast, they tend, for some reason, they tend to call more fouls than officials in the East Coast. I don't think that's the way teams play. It's just, if you look at the numbers, it's for some reason, that's whatever the reason is. I mean, WCC officials, I think, do as a whole call more fouls, but there is some discrepancy. So, I mean, that isn't mm-hmm. a horrible idea. The first four, three, four minutes, say, put Luke in just to see how the officials are calling the game. Because you'd be like, hey, Gavin, they're, they're not calling it super tight. You could be a little more aggressive. Or you see those first three minutes, like, hey, they're calling it really tight. Just so you could keep Gavin out those first three minutes, since he's probably would be the most foul-prone player on the floor. So, I mean, that's not a horrible idea. Those first three, four minutes just to kind of feel out the referees and then put him in but i mean whether he starts or not i mean yeah he needs 35 or 30 minutes a game moving forward for sure 
Yeah, and it's going to be, it, it's a real interesting quandary, particularly with Gonzaga coming in on Thursday, because Gonzaga is so good that if you go with Luke Worthington for three or four minutes, like the game could be over you by that point. Zero. Yeah. Well, yeah, you could be down like 15 points in the first four it, minutes. Let, let's not forget, Steve, two years ago, BYU's down 18 to two in the kennel and BYU won. But I mean, the That's odds true. of ever happen that again in our lifetime are, I mean, next to nothing but slim to none maybe BYU, BYU needs Corbin Kafusi on the bench that's what BYU needs he, that, <laughs> the guy doesn't lose to Gonzaga but I mean, we're getting a little we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves before we wrap up the St. Mary's game but um yeah so anything they're else? gonna need they're gonna need they're gonna need Brandon they're, I'm not Brandon they're gonna need Brandon Gavin Davis Baxter. too yeah <laughs> yeah they're gonna need Gavin Baxter in this game because uh-huh. they're just they're just they don't have enough athleticism to even begin to sniff the jocks no. of of Rui and and Brandon Clark Brandon Clark and Killian Tilly and everything he can do as a floor spacer mm-hmm. it's just there's just too much and so you're gonna need all the athletes and all the length that you can get to even try and hang um so they're gonna need a lot whether he starts or not I mean, whatever. I think we're probably fine either way. I think he deserves the start just based on how he's been playing. Playing, But if you want to strategically not start him, like that's fine. But he needs to play a lot regardless. Yeah. Um, so anyway, th- that was a great win. I think we're, we're both agreed that was a great team win. Big thing, big win for the program. It would be probably bigger if it was on the road because BYU hasn't really proven they can do that against good teams yet. But even at home, good to get a solid win over a quality program, over a rival. And that was great. But it's not all. it wasn't all good. It wasn't all roses, Mm-mm. right? There were some things that, that could have been better. So, Robbie, what, what could have been better in that St. Mary's game? What were some warning signs that we should watch out for? Well, I started talking about how well BYU did from the uh, t- not turning the ball over and forcing turnovers, but that was almost totally counteracted by how poorly BYU re- rebounded the ball. Uh, St. Mary's had 17 offensive rebounds. And usually when you win the turnover about a 15 to 2, you don't expect. I mean, both teams shot the same amount of shots. So you expect when you win the turnover battle so much, you, you should expect to see a big discrepancy in shot attempts. But like I said, that was counteracted by the number of rebounds. Um, St. Mary's, I mean, they're a big team by West, WCC standards, but they're not huge. And the thing is, BYU rebounded the ball well on the offensive glass, but the defensive glass, St. Mary's just had so many offensive rebounds in. They didn't kill BYU with second chance points, but I mean, they had a good amount and that's what kept him within striking distance the whole game. And so, I mean, with Gonzaga coming up and with our, with one of the best front courts in the country, I mean, it could get really bad if BYU doesn't shore up those rebounding problems. And I've noticed in years past BYU, it seems like when they go into a game undersized, it seems like they really make a concentrated team effort to rebound the ball. So I think in practice this week, they're going to be preaching just, hey, crash the glass. Every Everybody needs to box out their guy and rebound the ball. So I would expect some of those to get um, kind of shorn up a little bit this upcoming week just with because I think coaches will put so much effort on it and rebounding a lot of it is just a mindset. But, I mean, it's going to be tough with Gonzaga's size. And then as far as other things that weren't great, you touched on it a little bit, Steve, but um, Yoli had a good game and he was without him. BYU obviously would not have won. He had a double double, 23 points at 11 rebounds. So I feel like at this point, we're just nitpicking a little bit on Yoli when we do kind of say he didn't do great. But I mean, it did take him 24 shots to get those 23 points. I mean, you never really want to be a volume score. You'd rather obviously strive for efficiency. But I mean, he did get a lot of offensive rebounds. So I mean, if BYU wants, again, wants a chance to be competitive against Sega, he's going to need to improve on that efficiency. 
And then from three, I mean, it's been a common theme from the all the year. BYU shot under 30% once again from deep. Um, luckily, they didn't take a ton of threes. They only took 14. So they did a lot of their damage. They got to the line a lot. They shot the ball well inside the arc. But um, again, they, BYU had a couple, some timely threes. Zach had a timely three. I think TJ had a timely three. But again, yeah, that's just... I mean, that's BYU's identity. They're not a great three-point shooting team. That's well-established this far into the season. But I mean, under 30%, that's not going to cut a lot of games if you're not out if you're winning the if you're not winning the turnover battle 15 to 2 so i think those are the main things steve i'm is there anything you want to add on it things that you were that were a little concerning from you coming out of that game yeah i mean the only thing i would say is that the uh the three-point shooting like you said is not surprising i'm not that concerned about the three-point shooting because i think everyone Mm -hmm. knows that that's that's a weakness at this point and byu can has figured out how to win games when they don't shoot the three well mm-hmm. obviously it's better if they do um but they they know how to win games at least at home uh when the three balls aren't falling i was much more concerned about the fact that they shot 61 percent from the free throw line yeah if you're gonna leave that many points on the i was shocked that they left that many points on the court and still won that game against a good yeah. opponent you cannot leave that many points on the court against a team uh, of Gonzaga's caliber, they they left they left eight points yeah. on the I mean, on, at the free throw line. I mean, TJ was you eight of ten, lead. but yeah, nobody else was hitting well from the foul line. Yeah, I mean, Nick was three of five, TJ eight of ten, McKay zero of two, Yoli two of four, and those those are the only guys who took free throws. Um, yeah. So if you leave eight points on the free throw line against Gonzaga, you're you're dead, right? You mm-hmm. you have to they're going to have to play a near perfect game at home in order to even be in the conversation with this Gonzaga team, which is really, really good. And I think the point about um, the offensive rebounds is a really is a is a really big thing to watch because generally BYU wants to run, right? And in order to run and get out in transition and play fast. Right, you got to rebound the ball, but a lot of times you're rebounding the ball with fewer guys, right? Because mm-hmm. you're sending guys out to leak out to get down the floor so you yeah. can make the outlet pass and go. And so generally BYU sending three guys, maybe four, uh, to the rim to the to get that to secure the offensive the defensive rebound against Gonzaga. They can't get away with that. Gonzaga's too big. They're too long. They're too athletic. BYU doesn't match up well. They're not. It's 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 going to have to be like you said, an all man, all hands on deck, five guys on the floor. Everybody goes to the glass to rebound the basketball, which is going to of necessity force them to play slower, which is where they're not comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the only way, if they're going to do that, and I think that's the most important thing they can do, is secure the secure the defensive glass. The only way they're going to really be able to get out in transition is if they play really good defense. Uh, on the initial kind of the initial Gonzaga attack and create turnovers, right? Like they did against St. Mary's force Gonzaga to, to create turnovers, throw different defensive looks at them, use whatever length you have, put Gavin Baxter in there to spread his long arms out, uh, get Yoli active with his hands and try and create some turnovers that are going to allow you to get in a transition. Cause you're not going to get in, get as many transition opportunities uh, off, off of rebounds. You're just not when you're sending five guys to the glass. So that's going to be something that's going to be real interesting to watch. I don't know if BYU can navigate that, um, but then again, you know Gonzaga's whatever they are, nineteen and two for a reason, right? Most most teams can't navigate them; they're that good. Yeah. Um, but before we dive into a little bit more about Gonzaga, let's just pause before we look ahead. Let's pause and talk about where we are after a great win, great win against St. Mary's. Everyone should feel good about that win. The team should feel really great about that win. 
where does this leave us, Robbie? Where are we? What, what, what should we, how should we be feeling right now? Yeah. So, I mean, outside of the St. Mary's win, I mean, Saturday for having a bye, Saturday was actually a very good day for BYU in terms of the way the WCC day kind of shaped up. We've touched on it before, but this year, especially the second seed is very important compared to past years. I mean, it's just because of that double buy into the semis. So I mean, if you don't get, if you get third, fourth, fifth, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you, that's the second or two, two, three, three through six doesn't matter at all. So the race for second is very important. So I mean, BYU is tied for second right now. I mean, BYU got some help. San Francisco lost at San Diego on Saturday night. And at San Diego, they're finally healthy now. They were healthy in the non-conference. They were banged up a little bit the beginning of conference place. I mean, San Diego is a very dangerous team. Um, so that's a team to watch out for St. Mary's. They succumbed to the, to the Firestone field house, field house curse. They lost to Pepperdine Saturday in OT. So, I mean, they, they fell to a game behind BYU. So BYU's right now, they're in a pretty good spot. Obviously they have some tough games coming up, especially with Gonzaga, but we're about at the halfway mark. BYU is in second. And then just before we touch on Gonzaga, Steve, um, last week we talked about just here on Instagram. He said he was going to be out another week. Well, um, more breaking news. Here's the here's the breaking news music from intern Phil right now. He's going to put that up. But um, Jashir said on his Instagram, on his Instagram story, that he said he's going to be back this week. His Instagram is a video of him dribbling the ball, and he said he's going to be back this week. So I don't know if that means he's going to be back against Gonzaga or LMU. I think he'll at least be dressed against Gonzaga. Um, I'm not sure even if he's healthy, it would be smart to play him because, I mean, that's a really tough game after missing a couple weeks, a month off to come right in and play against Gonzaga. But that is something to watch for this year. He's going to be back this week, according to him. So whether that's against Gonzaga or an LMU, he, I think he'll be dressed and ready to play, which, I mean, it's nice to have a body in case injuries, foul trouble. I mean, and Jashir's a good player too. So something to keep an eye on. And then as far as, so Steve, let's get into Gonzaga now. We already touched on them a little bit. So I think first, before we talk about how in the world BYU even has a chance to get at Gonzaga, let's just touch on how like Gonzaga, how good Gonzaga actually is, Steve. Because I think, I don't know if they're quite as good as their team that went to the national title, but if they're not, they're they're dang close. They're pretty dang close. They are really good. I mean, they're nineteen and two. They're number four in the country, and their only two losses are they lost to the number one team in the country, Tennessee, and then they lost on the road at North Carolina. I mean, no shame losing that. No shame in that. And then they beat a pretty good t- team. I mean, have you heard of Duke, Steve? Have you heard of the, you know, Zion Williamson? Uh, it's a small, it's a, it's a small private college in North Carolina. Yeah, a good academic university. I mean, they took them down to Maui. So, I mean, they beat freaking Duke with the Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, the two top picks in the draft. They took them down. And then Steve, listen to this stat. So Gonzaga six and zero in the WCC. You know, BYU beat St. Mary's by five. I go, oh, that's a pretty good win. But Gonzaga's winning their games by average of 31 points in the WCC. I mean, <laughs> they beat Santa Clara by 50, 59 no. on the road yeah. on Saturday. And that's insane. That's I saw that I saw someone tweeted out a stat. That's the the largest road win for a Division One team over another Division One team since nineteen ninety six. So in twenty three years, that's the biggest road margin ever. So I mean, Gonzaga, they're just that's insane. Yeah, they're they're scary. They they're clicking on all cylinders. I'm trying to find weaknesses on Gonzaga. I honestly couldn't find any like weaknesses. I mean, as far as personnel wise, we talked about their front court. I mean, their front court is just stacked. I mean, that we know Rui Hachimura, he's probably going to be a lottery pick. I mean, 
I'm really interested against that him and Yoli because I think they're one of them two is going to win the WCC Player of the Year. Probably Rui because he has more. I mean, Yoli have better stats, but I think Rui's more talented and he plays on the best team. But I mean, I don't think they're going to guard each other. Maybe they'll guard each other some. But I mean, it'll be fun to see how they play. And then I don't think a lot of BYU fans know about Brandon Clark. He's Gonzaga's other big. He was a transfer from San Jose State. So this is his first year in the program. I mean that. That dude is skilled. I mean, he's one of the top bigs in the that country. That guy's going to play in the NBA oh, one day. For sure. He's arguably the best shot blocker in the country. He averages three blocks a game. He's 6'8", 215. He's ultra athletic. I mean, and he's their second leading scorer. He averages over 16 points a game, eight boards. I mean, yeah, he's he's going to be a problem. And then on top of that, they have Killian Tilly back from in- injury. I mean, we saw last year at the end of the year how good Killian Tilly was. I mean, he's still adjusting back from his injury. He's getting He's getting about 20 minutes a game. But he's still shooting under 30% from three. So, I mean, if he finds his shooting stroke again, I mean, good luck. I mean, that's just an insane front court. And then their wing, Steve. I mean, they got, we know Josh Perkins. He's been around the block. He's a fifth year senior. I mean, I don't believe in Josh Perkins. I, was, I never have and I never will. I was just, I've never been super impressed with him. The, the BYU snapped Gonzaga's 29 and 0 perfect start in their senior night. BYU won because Josh Perkins choked down the stretch. And I think he's better. He's come a long ways, but I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I, I still hold my reservations about him, but I mean, he's a fifth year senior point guard. And then you got Zach Norvell, who's their best wing scorer. He's, he's awesome. Averages 16 a game. That guy is legit. He is. Yeah. From Chicago that he, great defender too. Yeah. Yeah. He, they do everything well. And then Corey Kispert, he's another wing. And then they got Gino Crandall, a grad transfer. They're just another guy they bring off the bench. So, I mean, they're stacked, Steve. I they're, mean, wh- they got dudes. They got dudes. <laughs> yeah, they got the, dudes. Is the, is the takeaway? Yeah, I mean, it's as far as stats. I mean, as far as things that they're number one, the number one of the nation offense efficiency, number one in effective field goal percentage. I mean, they're top fifty in defense. I mean, they 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 do pretty much everything well, Steve. Do you, I don't. I've seen I've seen a good amount of them this year. I mean, they're they're the real deal. I think they'll get to the final four this year. But all that aside. All those good things they do. Uh, how the heck does BYU have a chance of pulling off the upset? I feel like we could have had this exact same discussion two years ago when BYU and went into the kennel when they were number one. And I didn't think BYU had any shot. BYU was a 20-point underdog, and BYU obviously won that game. So that game always gives me a glimmer of hope, especially this one being at home. But how the heck does BYU have a chance to pull off the upset, Steve? You know, it's possible. I mean, I I would have said the same thing two years ago. There's no way BYU is going to beat that 29-0 Gonzaga team on the road in the kennel. And then, you know, weirder things have happened. And it is at home. And BYU, we know this. If we've learned anything about this BYU team is that they're a Jekyll and Hyde team. They suck on the road, quite frankly, except against really bad teams. And they just suck, you know, less enough to, to get a win um, against the Portlands of the world. Uh and they are good at home. They're pretty good at home. They beat a St. Mary's is a good team, but St. Mary's is not Gonzaga, right? So they're going to have to play a near perfect game. Here's here's the here's my point of comparison. Corey Kispert is like the seventh or eighth best player on Gonzaga. He would maybe be BYU's second best player if he was on this team. Yeah, we're at worst he'd be their third best player. Mm-hmm. Like the dude is legit, and he's like a guy off the bench, right? <laughs> and that's yeah. how. That's like how like how good they are. And so like BYU will have to play the game of their lives. They're going to have to they're going to have to play a near perfect game. They're going to have to rely on Gonzaga not having their A or B game, right? Like having like a C or D game. 
hopefully an F game. Like they just, something is weird, the travel and the, the atmosphere, the environment, in the Marriott center, something throws them off. Um, because that, that it's, it's the gulf between, it's not even, this isn't even just about BYU. This is the gulf between Gonzaga it's like and Gonzaga the entire is. rest of the conference. Yeah. They're just so good. It's not even a knock on BYU. They're so good. Um, and you know, so there's a lot of things that can, that can play into Gonzaga not having their, their best game, right? You could have foul trouble would be a big thing, right? We talked about WCC refs being whistle happy. Um, if you get a couple of those, a couple of the Gonzaga's big guys in, in foul trouble, Rui or, or Brandon Clark, um, that kind of, that maybe frees up Yoli a little bit more. I, I feel like Yoli's going to have a real tough time getting guarded by Brandon Clark just because he's so athletic and so long. He's going to make his life real difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you get Clark in foul trouble early or Rui in foul trouble early or better, both, um, Gonzaga has obviously dudes and they can bring in like a Geno Crandall or a Corey Kispert and they're still really good, but they're not super deep. They probably go about eight guys Yeah, deep. they only go seven or eight um, deep and those seven or eight are really good. But I mean, like you said, they only have seven or eight that they usually play. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I imagine that BYU, you'll probably see a lot of zone because, you know, you, you play man. The the general rule is you play man when you're more athletic than the team, the the team that you're playing or equally as athletic and you play Mm -hmm. zone when you're outmatched. BYU is deeply, deeply outmatched right here. (laughs) Yeah. And so BYU is going to, if, if they're smart and I'm sure they are, this is how they normally handle Gonzaga. They're going to sit in zone a lot and they're going to force Josh Perkins and you know, they're going to force Josh Perkins. You have to force Josh Perkins to beat you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's the way to, that's what, and ultimately this is why I don't trust Josh Perkins because every time Gonzaga does lose uh, in the tournament or in a big game, it's ultimately because the other team finds a way to force Josh Perkins to make plays. And Josh Perkins is, he's just not as good as those other guys. He's not as good as Zach Norvell. He's not as good as Rui or Brandon Clark or, or any of these other guys. He, they, he's just, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. He's also a very good player. Yeah. But if you're going to pick your poison, that's the poison that probably won't kill you, right? That it will just like maim you slightly. <laughs> um, and maybe you can recover from yeah. it. Uh, so you go, you play zone, you try and force them to take outside shots. You pray they're not hitting. Pray Killian Tilly is, you know, still shooting sub 30% from, from three. Um, and you know, you, you put as much length and athleticism on the floor as you can. You put Gavin Baxter out there, you put Yoli out there, um, and you try and hang and, and hope for the best. It's kind of a cross your, cross your fingers and pray type of situation, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not other than prayer and fasting, which as that sounds like might be the number one thing going to this game. But, uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I think it'd be interesting to see what, how Gonzaga guards Yoli. I think they'll put Brandon Clark on him because one, I don't think they want to get Rui in foul trouble. And two, Brandon Clark's one of the best um, defenders in, in college basketball. But with him, it'll be interesting. I wonder how BYU attacks him because since he is such a good shot blocker, I mean, a lot of times shot blockers, what, what do you want to do? You want to get him up in the air with some pump fakes so they so they, so they they foul you. So I'm curious if BYU just kind of, are they going to put Yoli out on the three-point line so that opens up the paint a little bit, maybe for TJ? Will they go that route? Or will they try to get Brandon Clark down low and have TJ Haas maybe drive at him and which could be horrible because Brandon Clark could get 20 blocks or maybe you get him. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you hope, Hey, TJ's really crafty. Maybe he forces a a cheap foul or two on him. So it'll be interesting to see how BYU goes with that. And then I think one, one thing BYU has going for them, Gavin Baxter, teams don't have a lot of film on him. I mean, we know Gavin Baxter doing these things, but BYU always 
prepares really well for Gonzaga, Steve. They've always, especially I like now that they have they had the bye on Saturday. So Gonzaga had a bye too, so that kind of cancels it out. But BYU has a full week to prepare for Gonzaga. And if we've seen anything, BYU always brings their A game for Gonzaga. So I think maybe I think they're going to try some new things. Maybe we see some one three one zone with Gavin Baxter at the top. I mean, we've seen that a few plays this year. I think BYU is yeah. going to throw a lot of different things. I mean, as they should, they have an extra day to prepare. Got to throw all the pitches this time. Yeah, just exactly. So I mean, especially with next time the the second time BYU puts Gonzaga, Gonzaga going to have another month of film on Gavin Baxter. So I mean, this is the chance where he's really the difference maker. This is the chance where you got to use them in a lot of different situations on defense and the offensive end, just to throw Gonzaga off because you got. To throw different things at them if you're going to have a chance but like you said i mean BYU has to, they're going to have to shoot the ball well they're going to have to rebound well they're going to have to hope a key guy or two in gonzaga gets in foul trouble if they want to have a chance to even in the last two or three minutes to have a, a chance to win so i mean yeah. it's a tall order but like you said we i think BYU had a i mean that when they beat gonzaga number one i think BYU had a that was a less likely chance to win so I mean, BYU is at home you never know but i mean yeah a lot of things need to go right if BYU has even a chance to pull off this upset. Yeah, and speaking of things, places where you can use Gavin Baxter in ways that you know maybe they haven't explored yet, I think there's a... The thing that I took away from that St. Mary's game is on the play, Gavin's first dunk, where essentially they used him as a screener on a high pick and roll at the top of the key with, with Connor Harding, and he then rolled hard to the basket, and Connor just had a nice pocket pass to him and he you yeah. know they, they, there was no help there and he yammed it uh in impressive fashion uh i i'm interested to see if they can do more of that because um, it does force because of his athleticism it forces defenses to make a choice right uh and i i haven't used him a lot as a screener and in, in the in the, maybe this, some of this is on gavin and that when they have used him as a screener i don't know that he's gotten you know, set really good wood on the other on on the defender and gotten a really good screen uh, on the on the ball handler's defender. Nor has he really rolled hard. Um, he's just kind of floated. But I think if you can put him in pick and roll situations where he gets a good lays a good screen on a guard like TJ or Connor, somebody who can who has good vision and can pass the ball and force. It depends on how the how Gonzaga plays ball screens, which I don't know off the top of my head. But if they're going to hedge hard on ball screens like St. Mary's does, that opens up a hard role for Gavin. Which requires your defense to shift, right? You have to make a decision. You're either going to let Gavin Baxter stroll right down the middle of the lane for a dunk, like he did on that St. Mary's play, or you're going to bring help, right? You're going to bring a, a, a backside defender to step up and stop the ball, which then opens up a shooter in the corner, um, and all of a sudden you're rotating, right? And it's on Gavin to be able to make that pass. I don't know if he's if he's there yet in terms of his offensive awareness and in identifying, oh, the, here comes the help. I, somebody's open. I need to make this pass on the move. Uh, that could be a little tough, but I think it's an interesting it's an interesting prospect to play with more using him as a as a hard roller off pick and roll, and even looking looking for lobs in those types of situations. Uh, just trying to use his athleticism uh, and his length as much as possible as a weapon because they're going to need, like I said, they're going to need to throw all the pitches, even the ones they haven't thrown yet this mm-hmm. year. Um, and so that's one that might that might work. And that, you know, Gonzaga is not the only game this week. They do play LMU at home yeah. uh, on Saturday as well. I think we both expect that to be a win, so we're going to kind of gloss over that. Yeah. Um, if BYU can't beat LMU at home, uh, they've got bigger problems. But uh, let's just go to predictions. Robbie, Gonzaga Thursday, LMU Saturday. What do you see? What's going to happen? Tell me. Give me the good news. 
Or the not good news, whatever you All think. Right, good news, Steve. I don't think BYU will get totally blown out versus Gonzaga. Um, all right, I, that's good. Yeah. I'm starting starting yeah, positive. All right. Um, I, I, the way I kind of see I think BYU has about a 12-ish point loss to Gonzaga. I think, I think BYU plays well enough at home. I think, I mean, the one true road game in a hostile environment um, Gonzaga played in, granted it was against a really good North Carolina team. I mean, Gonzaga was down by 20-plus for a lot of that game. And that was really the only tough road environment played in. And obviously, BYU doesn't match up nearly close to talent-wise what North Carolina has. But, I mean, Gonzaga doesn't play in a ton of tough environments. I mean, granted, they've won four straight in Provo now. But I think BYU does play well at home. I think I think they'll do some good things. I think we'll see a good game from TJ. I think there'll be, like, Connor Harding, Zach Salas, or Nick. I think one of those guys will step up, make a couple key buckets. But in the end, I think Gonzaga is just way too talented. I think 10, 12, 14, 15-point loss, somewhere in that range. I think BYU ultimately falls to Gonzaga. And then LMU, I think BYU, typically the Gonzaga, either the preceding game or the game after, BYU kind of sleepwalks through that game, which, I mean, it's, I mean understandable. It's human nature. So I think LMU is decent enough to give BYU a game. But being at home, I think BYU pulls out probably about an eight-point win over LMU. So... I see a split. Um, I would love to see BYU pull off the upset. Gonzaga really re-energized the season than the stretch the last month. But I just Gonzaga is way too talented. I just see one and one on the week. I'm guessing you're going to see it the way, same way, Steve. But maybe you'll have some faith. And do you see a gigantic upset? Here's what's going to happen, Robbie. All right. I want to take you on a journey. All right, take me, Steve. It may seem like a familiar one. Ooh. BYU will start out the Gonzaga game. And they will be bad. Mm-hmm. And Gonzaga will go up very big because BYU will be playing, again, bad. And then, the, because this is at home, the crowd will rally behind BYU. <laughs> a few shots will fall. They'll make a run. And they'll climb. I've seen the story slowly, 30 times slowly, in my slowly. life. 50 yeah, times. Yeah, 30, only yeah, 100, 30. Wow, 150 you times. Attention. <laughs> yeah. They'll slowly climb out of the hole and they'll get close enough to where you'll think, huh? Maybe they could do it. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is. Maybe it's going to be like, uh, like like two years ago. Maybe they're going to shock the world, and you start to get hope, and you have little seeds of hope start to sprout in your heart, and it'll just get a little bit closer, and then with about five minutes left, the wheels will fall off, and Gonzaga will wake up, and they'll say, "Wait a second, we're Gonzaga. We're way better than you. We're way better than everybody. We're going to kill you now." And Gonzaga will destroy BYU for the final five minutes. BYU will look like they don't even belong on the same floor. And Gonzaga will win by approximately 15 points. That is what is going to happen. It sounds like every game BYU plays against the top 15 team, whether it be basketball or football, it's to give you just enough hope to not turn off the TV, but they'll cut your heart out at the end. Yeah, they're good for television ratings in that way. Just just take the Houston game and like make a carbon copy of it, except against a better opponent, <laughs> uh, and that's what this is going to be. And then I think I do think they'll beat LMU, similar to you. Uh, they usually struggle with LMU because they've got quickness uh, on the guard line. That's something that BYU doesn't know how to handle, never has, and probably never will. Um, I do think having Jashir back uh, and potentially able to play in that game could be really important. Uh, just having more quickness on our guard line to match up. Uh, I think they probably, you know, the home court carries them. Uh, I think LMU is a little bit down right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a had a rough stretch in conference. Uh, I see BYU going, ending up with like a 
12-ish point victory somewhere yeah. in there. Um, but, but, you know, I think it, I think it will be a good opportunity to bounce back uh, from a loss, for what seems like a certain loss, maybe not, but seems like a certain loss to, to Gonzaga. And, you know, these the Gonzaga game, you know, nobody's expected to beat Gonzaga, right? Everyone just assumes everyone's going to lose to Gonzaga. But for, like, the conference race, the games that come after Gonzaga are way more important. If you can steal a win against Gonzaga, it's that's icing. huge, right? Yeah. That gives you, yeah, that gives you a game up on the on the competition because you're assuming everyone else is going to lose to them. Uh, but the big games are the home games against LMU and the road game at Portland and then the home game against whoever they have next after that who's not good, I know Santa Clara or somebody. Um, they've got essentially three very winnable games after Gonzaga, and they have to win all three if they want to really make a push for that second seed mm-hmm. uh, in the WCC tournament. And then obviously the the most important game that's sitting out there right now, they're done with St. Mary's, right? The most important game for for that jockeying is, is – uh, is the San Francisco game, the return game. They have to get a win at home against San Francisco or else they're totally cooked. Yep. Um, and then you've got the Southern California road swing at USD, at LMU. That's going to be really tough too, as USF just showed us this past weekend, losing to San Diego um, in the Slim Gym. But there's no so there's no, uh, there's no shortage of, of mines in this minefield for BYU. The WCC, despite Gonzaga's dominance of it, it is better. Um and it, there's more parity, uh, and so that just means if they're gonna, you know, try and jockey and 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 beat out San Francisco for that two seed and beat out St. Mary's, who you know they're not dead yet, um, they're gonna have to play. They're gonna have to play well consistently, and they're gonna have to win the games they should win, and and maybe steal one that they shouldn't. Yeah, I know it's it's gonna be an interesting race down the stretch, especially after Gonzaga, but. You know, I'm excited for Gonzaga, Steve. The beautiful thing about sports, I mean, the games aren't on paper. You always play the game. Um, we saw that football and BYU beat Wisconsin. We see that two years ago where BYU beat a 29-0 Gonzaga game. And me and Haley were at that game. That was with that and the Nebraska Hail Mary game. Those are probably the two top BYU sporting events in my lifetime. So, I mean, anything can happen, Steve. That's why you play the game. So, I mean, I'm excited. BYU might get crushed, but we'll we'll be watching and we'll be breaking it down next week. Yeah, we'll be there. We'll be watching with rapt attention, with our faces painted blue, if not literally, at least metaphorically, yes. uh, sitting on our couches in our respective, uh, respective screaming at Washington's. Screaming at the TV why Dave Rose won't play Gavin Baxter and our faces will turn blue. So, hopefully. Yes, that is what will happen. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you can follow along. Don't forget, yeah. you can follow along. If you want to follow along with our, our rants, uh, follow us on Twitter. Follow Robbie at RT McCombs, and I am at Post Jimmer. Uh, special thanks, as always, this week to our intern uh, and and multimedia podcast editing extraordinaire Phil Hyatt. We appreciate his service uh, in the name of in the name of Shut Up and Jimmer and getting us out to all you fine folks. Uh, it'll be an interesting week. Last week was a good one. This week uh, could be a great one, or it could be just fine. Um, but in any case, you you have to be excited to uh to watch your cougars go up against one of the top five teams in the country uh have them on your home floor play a team with the caliber and the talent uh of gonzaga so this will be this will be an interesting watch and we'll be there cheering right alongside you and we'll talk to you about it next week go cougars